welcome to the industry.fashions in conversation podcast where we invite you to tune in to the stories of some of fashion's most inspirational leaders from the history of their careers to their current priorities for their businesses and advice for their fellow fashion friends these conversations cover it all during the height of the covid pandemic private white vc owner james eden won a government contract to supply ppe for the nhs turning part of the brand's Manchester factory into a working production line to help the cause. The additional specialist equipment that had to be brought in has since been repurposed and is now making an ever-growing jersey collection, adding to the company's excellent made-in-Manchester outerwear. The brand's popular factory visits are also now fully back on for those who like to see how it's all made before making a purchase in the on-site shop. We catch up with Eden to tell us all about it, as well as a new t-shirt collaboration with popular Manchester United fanzine, United We Stand. Hi James, thanks for joining us on our podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to kick things off, when did you originally launch Private White VC and what are the origins of the name? It seems like an eternity um, ago when I when I started the business. So it was, it was probably 10, in fact probably more like 12 years now. For my sins, before I started Private White VC, I was actually working in investment banking. Went down the rather formulaic, depressing path of, well, university, um, economics, grad scheme, grad rotation scheme, which I did um, at Liverpool Street for a, for a British um, investment bank. Um, I was there for three years, where during which time I just hated my existence, was totally apathetic and, and, and just was not was not a happy person inside or out. And there was an opportunity to try something else, try something with a bit more meaning and substance and purpose, which was to get involved with my old family's factory named um, named after my great grandfather, who was Private Jack White, who was a Victoria Cross winner in the First World War. Um, and yeah, I, I I took over the factory at which at which time there was no. There was no brand as such. There was the there was his building. There was his, his factory. There was the infrastructure, but it was essentially a private label factory. It was uh, you know making for some of the most prestigious or ostensibly prestigious and venerable brands, fashion houses, celebrities, uh, monarchies, etc. Um, but it was a real challenge. Um, it was a real challenge when you are just a, I guess how to put this, you know, a dirty grotty that's how the perception you know bottom of the food chain maker you're treated very badly you're paid slowly if at all and it's just a very very difficult existence it's very very difficult to 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 make a business that's going to prosper um and when i took the factory over because it's always had a a legacy in my eyes of making beautiful beautiful things i thought why are we making for these other businesses that don't appreciate us don't respect us and ultimately don't pay us why don't we try and do something ourselves for um you know, for, for for a greater for a greater purpose, for a greater vision, and for a greater um, for a greater ambition, and let's see if we can do that. If we fail, well, we're we're no worse off because the business was failing at the time. Because being a private label in the a private label maker in the UK was um, it was extremely challenging um, with loads of downside um, and not much upside. So I thought, listen, we can't um, it can't get any worse for us. So let's try and take the business from private label to private white. And then we've done that, and I'm, you know, we're now in a in a far better position. It's still got its challenges, but we're now making. So we've gone all private label, no private white, and we've turned the tide and flipped it completely. So we're all private white now and no private label. 
And when it was private labour, was it all uh, outerwear? It was a mixed bag. I mean, you know, over the past 30, 50, 60, you know, uh, 60 years, this factory has basically, because it's because the times have been so challenging and when you've got a big ravenous factory to feed, you basically adapt and become incredibly flexible and pragmatic and as a dynamic and you put your hand to anything so whether it's a trench coat or a gas suit or trousers or or, or whatever you know if there was a contract to be you know to be um, to be pitched for you'd almost you know grab it with both hands and then try and work it out to make it uh, after the event so the business has always had a very very broad product mix it, it, i mean its speciality has has historically been woven so you know cottons walls trench coats out you know outerwear primarily because that's the kind of the most embellished most complicated most expensive part of the wardrobe um and that's what the factory has has been extremely strong at over the years um so yes there has been a there was there was a a, a healthy emphasis on outerwear coats and jackets but it's been able and has indeed embarked on many many products over the years and are you the only existing factory in the northwest that makes outerwear and, and rainwear? Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, we, we, we're definitely one of very, very few. I, I mean, I'm, I don't tend to. I mean, we've got so much, so much things to worry about here internally. I don't really put much, um, much headspace or bandwidth on, on on other factories elsewhere. I mean, I'm obviously aware of the cobblers in Northampton, um, whether it's Crockett and Jones, Edward Green. Uh, my good friends at Cheney, or whether it's in the uh, the realm of knitwear, so whether it's John Smedley in Derbyshire, or indeed North the Border and Johnson's of Elgin, I'm aware of what those guys do because we work with those um, those makers on an ongoing daily basis. But you know, am I aware of other factories in the Northwest or indeed across the UK? Um, I, I'm I'm not actually. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was just really kind of putting it into perspective as. Kind of like back in the fifties and sixties, there would, would have been so many. Factories. Oh, it was. I mean, where we are, Manchester, or you know, we're in the city centre here. It's the, the sun is shining as it always is, um, and you know, but back in the day, this 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 region was known as Cottonopolis. It was the heart of the world's cotton industry, and there were no joke. There were thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of uh, of guys and girls of all of of all uh, of all ages and walks of life making garments, working in factories like this. Um, and there was there would have been you know hundreds and hundreds of factories. Now there's a handful at best um, across the country, which is a real shame. But you know such is life. So it's uh, it's a little bit bittersweet. We're obviously very very proud of our positioning and our endurance to be. I mean, we actually we actually lay the claim to be the you know the last remaining factory in the world's first industrial city, which is uh, which I think is quite a, a charming strapline. It's it's and it's and it's completely completely true as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, it's it's sad. I think it's, it is lamentable. It's it, it is it's a tragic sign of the times. There aren't that many people making things domestically anymore. Which is which is I mean, there's lots of implications for that. Whether it's you know social, economic, political, um, whatever. Um, but it, it it is unfortunate, um, and it does make trading and operating in this industry much much more difficult. You know because you miss out on on a hive of activity, cluster effects. You know, I mean, how, how many people would go to to Vegas if there was one casino? Um, and you know, the network effect of having lots and lots of factories 
driving each other on, competing with each other, or, or, or leveraging off the, the ecosystem and the infrastructure. It, it, it's you know we don't have that. So when it comes to training, labour pool, mechanics, uh, machinery, all the rest of it, it's 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 difficult because we are we're, 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 we are we're like the 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 tallest dwarf, and you know we're paddling our own canoe at the same time. It's 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 just challenging. Do you think there's been greater emphasis on put uh, on made in Britain since since Brexit? Um, do I think yes and no? More important again. Um, well, it depends on. It, it, it. And listen, there, there has always been a there has always been a an appreciation for all things British and all things quality. I, I think domestically, it has it's probably got. I mean, the economic conditions and the situation we find ourselves in, I'm hoping it's prompting people to think more and consider more where they are investing their hard-earned money, how are they spending it, where are those proceeds going, what kind of organization, what kind of infrastructure it's then going to support and how that's going to trickle down into the economy and, 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 and the associated ecosystems. Or indeed, is it just going to go offshore and, and benefit um, another country's um, economy? Another plus and minuses to, to, to both those um, eventualities. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Brexit, hopefully it has, it has inspired British people um, that there is a heightened importance to, you know, become more independent. And as a result of that, you've got to, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're striving for independence, then you've got to make more stuff yourselves um, and as a as a result, you've got to buy things from within your borders more. Um, that's our hope, and uh, that's our hope and, and, and expectation. That's what we're witnessing as well. Yeah. And how would you best describe the private white VC business in terms of are you pro- uh, primarily direct to consumer, or is wholesale still a very big part of your business? Uh, well, I mean, we, we we you know we we craft, create, design. A great British luxury clothing. That's how I, that's how I like to um, define ourselves. Um, we sell primarily um, through our own websites and through our own store here at the factory. Um, we also do some strategic wholesaling with some of the best retailers in the world, from uh, Harrods to Mr. Pa- Mr. Porter and further afield. Um, but you know, as our, as our as our profile raise, uh, rises, as we as we get more um, more traction and more recognition. Around the world, we're 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 enjoying a marked shift in customers wanting to buy direct from us. They want to invest in the people and products and processes that support this factory. Um, and obviously, with the advent of the internet, they're able to do that. Sure. And how is the business emerging after the pandemic? It's ridden with challenges and and, and conflicts and tensions from a supply chain perspective, um, from a sales um, um, from a sales angle. Our revenues have never been greater. As I said our international profile has never been um, never been greater, and the opportunity for further growth has never been greater as well. You know, we are primarily export led, um, which once again, with the relative strength of the dollar, US being our biggest marketplace, that's obviously an opportunity for us. Um, but you know, we're, we're we're not immune to um, to to the challenges of you know energy prices to to well i guess just just confusion and uncertainty in international supply chains has a knock-on effect to us i mean we're we're we're, i mean relative to most of the businesses we're extremely well protected and well insulated um 
you know, all of our materials are woven and sourced locally. Um, our, you know, 100% of our products are made within the UK. 95% of those are made within this building that I'm sat in. Um, but, you know, we have we have hardware that comes from Switzerland. We'll have yarn that comes from the US or um, or the Caribbean or from India for certain cottons. And, you know, there are, there are there's all sorts of um, volatility and fluctuations in international supply chains, which which does which does make things a lot more complicated um, and costly. Yeah. And going back, uh, after several attempts, you managed to secure a government contract to produce PPE for yeah. the NHS. What was the fallout from that? Uh, well, the fallout, that's, I mean, the fallout, it was, a, it was a terrible, terrible time for the world. And we put ourselves forward as being one of only very few credible organizations from within the UK that were actually could, um, that, that could set up a resilient supply chain domestically to produce highly coveted um, PP for the government on scale um, to a cost and to a timing that would work for everyone. Um, and, you know, we work very, very hard with the, with the government, with the NHS and the, and, and the relevant personnel um, within national government. And we set up some phenomenal um, factories here in the Northwest, and we manufactured tens of millions of um, PP items. Obviously, those contracts have, have since come to an end, um, which was unfortunate because we weren't able to, to, to repurpose or recondition um, or reutilize many of the, the machinists and the guys and girls that we took on. Um, that was you know, our, our, mask, our mask making unit because that was highly automated, extremely modern, um, making literally tens of millions of masks a week, actually, you know, 24 seven, um, not in a thousand a day to, to churn out what was, what was needed. But then on the slightly more, um, the slightly more, um, uh, labor intensive side of things. So in, in, in the gowns and the rele- relevant, um, um, medical overcoats that we were tasked with making, we had to train up quite a cohort of guys and girls, um, in and around Manchester, and at the end of the contract, we had quite a well, extremely vibrant, committed, um, dynamic workforce that were were trained up on on, on using overlockers and the like. Um, and we, well, I was extremely reluctant to, to 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 part company with those guys and girls after a tremendous effort on everyone's part. And so we thought, right, well, what can we possibly do to maintain these people that have worked so valiantly? Um, over COVID for us. Um, and then we decided that now was the time, and I've been flirting with it for a while, to go into Jersey and loungewear. Um, you know, as I said at the outset, this factory has primarily been a woven specialist. So, you know, coats, jackets, uh, trousers, shirting. And we've never, we'd never entered the Jersey arena, not in a meaningful way. Um, it's like, you know, like with everything as a, as a, as a small independent business that has, um, limited access to capital, to personnel, to, to projects initiatives. You've got to be ruthlessly commercial and strategic with where you, well, with where you spend your time, money, and effort. And so, Jersey for us was just not a core consideration. Um, although I've always wanted to do it, you know, I, I, I love love designing clothes. I love wearing clothes. I love I love manufacturing clothes. Um, and I know that there is a big, big opportunity for for, for tees and sweats and hoodies and and, and sweatpants and all the rest of it. But it's just never been a focus for the business because it's just never been the right time, the right, um, it's just never been the right time. 
And so, so, that, some of the, so some of the machinery was actually repurposed to yeah, yeah the, the, the line the, well as I said we had to we had to um, you know the 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 all signal dancing mask equipment that we that we that we installed there was not much use for that which was unfortunate um, really, it's a tragedy actually but never mind um, but in terms of the the machinery that we were utilizing for um, the gowns yes we repurposed that we've repurposed the unit. The, um, in fact, all, 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 all the elements um, of what went into that production line, we're now focused um, on making jersey and, and, and other uh, such products. And the first jersey line was for spring, summer now, wasn't it? Um, it's, so it's in our, it's our, it, well, we've got, we've got a, lot, a, a much wider assortment that started for this spring, summer, yes. Yeah, so we 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 you know last season we uh, we introduced a a hoodie, um, some sweats, um, and some tees, but we've gone much much broader, much more embellished, and a much more comprehensive assortment. Yeah, and how's that being developed for um, well next spring summer? Yeah, I mean we, you know it's a bit you know we, I mean we're used to engineering, designing, developing really really complicated stuff um, of the highest quality, um, and so we're very excited to to really really get fanatical. And to optimize the design, the performance, the cut, the fabrication, um, the well, just the overall proposition of Jersey, we think we can do well. We are doing a phenomenal job of, of offering what I consider to be an unrivaled um, British-made solution, um, using the, the best regionally sourced fabrics and yarns, using our kind of using our um, our, our skills in terms of tailoring and, 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 and construction. You know, there's lots of there's lots of shirting makers, there's lots of jersey makers that, that aren't able because they have the skills to make the kind of pockets, to make the kind of collars, to make the kind of zip insertion that we can from our skills, um, uh, from our traditional skills. So by fusing, um, I guess, the old and new in terms of our skill set, we've, we've, we've got something quite dynamic and explosive, I think. And what new products uh, are you excited about launching for this autumn-winter? Uh, God, there's so many. It's like asking me who's my favourite um who's my favorite child well, i say that anyone asking me that i always say max max is always my my favorite he's my he's my only boy um uh i mean i i think for this season we've introduced a um well it's one of our best selling silhouettes every winter it's our frobish show so it's not um it's our, I guess it's our Arctic park or it's what you wear when it's freezing, freezing cold here in Manchester or Manhattan. Um, and we've done it historically in Ventile, which is a waterproof cotton, but I wanted something a bit more tactile, a bit more delicate and a bit more refined. And we've added a wool doe skin outer cloth. Um, so it's really, really soft, really luxurious and, and extremely warm. And we've added a drop liner behind the wool wadding. So it's completely waterproof. So, you know, the, the, the traditional Ventile, which we use, is a waterproof cotton, but now we've got a really, really soft and beautiful uh, merino wool doe skin. Um, but with the advent and use of a drop liner, we have a, you know, a waterproof um, Arctic parker, which is insulated with 100% wool wadding. So we use, you know, at the end of each season, when, whenever we have any leftover offcuts or walls, we have it all reconstituted and repurposed for, uh, for, for, for wadding. And what would the cost be of that coat? Um, I think it's TBC, but it's going to be around 1600 quid. And will that be your top tier? Um, 
Price-wise, certainly in terms of complexity, yes. Price-wise, no. So we do have a, we have some other, you know, hundred percent cashmere pieces that that are slightly more expensive. Uh, we also do quite a bit of, um, you know, quite a lot of shirling and suede, um, and those are of a slightly higher price point too. But I mean, it's it is it is it's within the top tier. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's an uh, there's an obscene amount of of work that goes into a garment like that, not just from a component perspective, from a handwork perspective, from a from a cloth, from a material, from a complexity. It's 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 really got everything. Yeah, you've also just done a t-shirt um, collaboration collection with the Manchester United fanzine United We Stand, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. Do I mean, we're well. I mean, you know, as a business, you're always looking for you know how do we how do we look to 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 raise our profile within a target demographic. Um, who do we know? Who knows us? And who would we like to collaborate with and and and, and do playful things with? Um, uh, so the, the the founder of United We Stand is a great guy called Andy Mitten, who we know very well. He's a he's a huge huge. Uh, he's a very high profile um, Mancunian. He's, he's he's really really big on the on the football scene and beyond. Extremely well connected. Also, just a great guy as it happens. Um, and you know, we were talking to him about you know. What, 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 you know, could we do something together because it would make sense? You know, he's got the premier, um, United fanzine, and we are the premier and only, um, menswear, Manchester menswear label that actually makes stuff here in the region. And we thought we'll do something together. So, you know, that's what we'll do. And we've just done a, you know, really nice limited edition set piece, uh, set of t shirts. Um, and it's been received really, really well. Good stuff. And what other collaborations have you got coming up? Uh, I mean, we've always got a, you know, a quite a chocker pipeline of initiatives and collabs. Um, we've got, uh, we're about to launch another overcoat with our, um, with our longstanding friend Simon Crompton from Permanent Style. So that goes live at the end of this month. That's a that's a, a new colorway we're introducing to our um, to our extremely um, highly sought after um, Raglan Donegal overcoat. Um, we have um, a capsule collection launching with Todd Schneider, who's a um, he's a, a designer based out of, uh, of New York. So that launches in um, October, and then in November we have a wax flight jacket that we've designed for and with the good people at Bremont. So Bremont, the British-made uh, watchmakers. Um, very similar ethos, very similar backstory to, 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 to us. Um, so yeah, that's 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 I guess three for the next three months, um, and then it's uh, it's Christmas. Sure. And how do you go about selecting who you partner with? Um, I think it's like I guess the, the the biggest challenge as a business owner is always like it's not so much it's not so much um, it, it's just it's being it's making the right decisions. You know, you can't. You can't be all things to everybody. You can't be everyone's friend in the playground. You have to be able and willing to say no um, to certain things because you've only got so much time. You've only got so much resources. We don't have, you know, we, we're, we're a small, small dynamic team that I believe punches way above its, its, its weight in terms of output. And so you've got to be as ruthlessly strategic and as sensible with who you work with and, 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 and whatnot. Um, I guess for me, I always, you know, do, first of all, do, do I like the counterparty? It's not, I mean, it's not critical, but for me it is. You know, I, I like, I like, I like working. I like surrounding myself with people that I enjoy spending time with. Um, so that's one of the criteria. And I think if you, if if you if you match and complement 
my values are values around quality, around craft, around provenance and authenticity, um, and appreciation of of doing things slowly but properly. Um, then you know that then there is a good chance that there'll be ways for us to work together, and and also, um, you know, you've got to have a profile or indeed a positioning or presence in a market that's a, that's that, that's complementary to us here at private white you know one of the reasons for collaborations yes you get to do creative things with, the, with other creative people and, it, and it's fun but you know as a businessman it's about how can you raise awareness in other pockets of the world and society that aren't already familiar with you um so you've got to take that into consideration as well yeah. And how important has social media become to building brand and new products and indeed in collaborations awareness? Uh, listen, it's, it's, it's bittersweet, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the halcyon days of you being able to put out a post through Facebook or on Twitter and it, and it, and it having a wildly amplified reach have been and gone. You know, there's always talk of you know energy crisis and and electricity bills and all the rest of it. There is a there is a huge huge utility that not many people talk about, and that's that's Facebook. You know, I I, I put uh, I put I put I, it, I it, it drives me it's staggering. You know how much we're compelled to spend. We well, not compelled to spend, but you you have no choice almost. Um, so we um we spend an awful lot behind the bar at uh, at Facebook and. Um, it's it's you know it's becoming more more, more challenging and, and, and less impactful i believe um but to your point how important is social media obviously it's extremely important if you're in this business you have to have a social uh, a strong social media presence across all the all the well not across all the outlets but you know you've got to choose the ones that work best for you and, and the ones which you can service with the right resources and personnel but obviously it's uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a huge huge part of our business yeah so is facebook more important than instagram um yes yes and yes and no it's um it's you know we have a slightly different demographic slightly different content works slightly different through facebook through instagram through tiktok through linkedin um i mean they're all complementary um they they can cannibalize um but at the same time they've got to be held and spoken to and treated differently to get the best results yeah and have you now restarted your uh, factory visits yeah, so we 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 have. I'm pleased to say it was a you know it felt like an eternity. It was you know 14 months, 18 months, two years, whatever the whatever the time frame was. But you know when you've got a uh, a factory that we just love um, inviting people to, and also in turn people do like walking around and touring what is an extremely enchanting, innovative, and unique um, footprint. Um, you know, and as a as a as a people person selling high quality product that 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 really does benefit from being touched and tried on and felt, um, you know, not having, uh, or, 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 or yeah, not having that personal interaction with customers. Uh, you know, our stores were closed in Mayfair in Manchester, um, and not having the factory tours. You know, we we did miss it, so we were delighted to open back the open reopen the doors, um, and we've got you know. We are extremely busy um, and we anticipate being extremely busy um, for the duration of the year because we have guys from all over the globe um, visiting us, booking appointments, having a you know, access all area tour of the factory, seeing it from top to from uh, top to toe without any, you know, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing secluded. 
everything is out in the open for people to to see and 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 and, and to interrogate and to indeed enjoy um and it's uh you know it's it's a real spectacle for those that are interested in craft and industry and clothing um so it's great to have people um through the factory and indeed that also helps sales when they then get into the into the store and they can you know they can invest in the garments that they've seen being uh, made with such um, fanatical attention so there that is actually a proper full-on private white vc store inside the factory oh yeah oh it's a it's a yeah it's a huge it's a huge space um it's a it's a great spectacle you know i'm on site all the time the you know my glorious bulldog that you heard before he's 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 available for 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 for, for back tickles and slobbering um you know this this yeah it's, it's it's great and of course you had the london shop that was for quite a few years wasn't it um, yeah so, so we had that for about about seven years which is real. i mean listen it, it's 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 the 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 wounds are a little bit raw, so I'm not quite um, not quite over um, over my ex. Um, you know, COVID came. The business was doing the, the store was doing phenomenally well pre-COVID. Um, you know, COVID, COVID came. It decimated us and most of the global um, retail sector, and we had a divergence of opinion from our landlord, and it was ruled and deemed that. It was the best thing for both parties to go our separate ways, which was a, a real shame because I love the store and I loved, loved, loved the business we were doing there, but it just wasn't meant to be, you know. Um, but we're now, we are actively seeking um, alternative spaces in, in, in the Mayfair region in the West End because, um, you know, that, that's an important facet to the business and it's one I'm keen to pursue. Sure. And is there maybe any plans to uh, open a store overseas even? I uh, never say never. I think there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite bearish. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I mean, bearish defensive mode currently. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment um, for reasons we don't need to go into. Um, so is there appetite to start exposing ourselves to the liabilities and inherent risks and pitfalls and challenges of an additional retail unit you know new york would be ideal for me or ideal for the business i think it'd be perfect i think it would work brilliantly actually but you know that's a big big undertaking um at huge costs and there's a big 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 risk and it's probably not the right time to take such a a uh a cavalier foot forward um but you know you know i you know, wouldn't rule anything out it's great stuff. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today, James. No, but absolute pleasure. I mean, I I, I like uh, I like hearing the sound of my own voice. So it's been been great for me. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Industry Doc Fashions in Conversation podcast. If ever you want to be there in person, visit our website, theindustry.fashion and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know about future events. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for our next episode.